Welcome to Bold Conscious Connections. My name is Raju Panjwani and I'm a certified leadership coach. And I'm Trisha Ramos, a certified high performance coach. Together, we help business leaders redefine success on their terms to create more space and energy so that they live impactful lives. Everyone wants to be seen, heard and understood. So at a deeper level, we know that the collective consciousness is important to raise in this world. And leaders who are influencers can make that difference. We in our coaching programs teach people how to focus on the interconnectedness, heart-centeredness and growth from within. And this is what this podcast will be about. So stay tuned and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. Talk to you very soon. In this episode, we bring you my good friend Jayesh Parikh. Jayesh is a serial entrepreneur who's had nine startups. Uh, he's just become an author of a book that he published called What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. Jayesh is a co-founder of Sony Entertainment Television, a major TV network of Sony Pictures. He spent over 12 years at IBM in Texas, where he was part of the team that brought IBM back to India. He lives in Singapore today. He's a well-known impact investor. Uh, he's also a senior advisor to Jungle Ventures, a venture capital fund based in Singapore. In this episode, he really deep dives into what it takes to be a resilient and a risk-taking entrepreneur and what it takes to make success out of the failures of life and business. So without further ado, let's go to the episode. Jayesh Parikh, it's so, so wonderful to see you on camera here. You're in Singapore. Um, Jayesh is a very old friend and an entrepreneur that that I always admired. And, you know, he's a he's a guy who combines spirituality and leadership. In summary, uh, you've been an an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, serial investor. Uh, you've seated and, you know, invested and have faith in so many companies and entrepreneurs you've nurtured and uh, including me. Um, you've invested in one of my companies. Um, it's it's uh, it's delightful to have you here on our podcast. Thank you so much uh, to both of you, Raju and Trisha. I'm uh, incredibly uh, honored to be on your program today and, and look forward to I hope what is a useful chat today. I have no doubt. And I also forgot to mention that you have also become an author of a book that you released uh, not too long ago, which is called, uh, What Will We Do With All This Money? Is that correct? What Shall We, what shall we Do With All This Money? Uh, Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. There you go. That will be so important to That's, talk about. Sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very juicy. So the first question, Judge, uh, is, uh, you know, you've had, you know, as I, as I said, a pretty, pretty interesting career. You've had your ups and downs, um, like many of the listeners in our, in our audience here. What does it mean when we say the word bold to you? And has that and why is it important in your work today or, or anywhere in the past? I think the most important thing uh, about being bold is to be a risk taker. So especially as an entrepreneur, uh, even as a senior executive, mm -hmm. I took risks and I see people taking risks and those who have the, a risk taking ability should usually venture into the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, if you're not a risk taker, it's okay. Be wherever you are, do whatever you're doing. 
every millennial doesn't have to become an entrepreneur. So bold is a risk taking, B, it is an ambition. And an ambition which is bold to create or develop a useful product or service. A product which is useful to the masses or to a specific niche audience, but a product or service that is truly useful uh, rather than there are a lot of exchanges, trading type of applications. Uh, in my mind, they are needed and it's fine, but I look at disruption as, as one measure of boldness. Mm. Why do you think that is even more important today than it ever was? I think that important, uh, the, one of the other things that is happening is that the world is just transforming. I mean, we've gone through this last couple of years and we all recognize right what's going on around here. The normal is no longer normal. There's a new normal. Even the new normal doesn't seem to be sort of coming anytime soon. Everything is ups and downs and in different parts of the world. So people who were regularly traveling are not traveling. And, and so, and yet amongst all of this, I have friends who are taking risk and traveling. They are bold because they need to either deliver a product or service uh, and therefore either for that reason, or of course there are folks who need to go visit their loved ones and they, they can't do without that. And so they take, a, they take the risk. But I think it is extremely important because the world is changing out there. Uh, if you look at the food chain, for example, you know I'm just getting into a, a new venture fund, which is a, a good protein fund, which goes into alternative proteins. And you know, I've been just fascinated for the last four or five months uh, to see that you know when there are 10 billion people, our uh, food system uh, you know is just completely not sustainable. And so it requires a degree of boldness today. If you look at the environment, if you look at the energy system, you look at the food system, there are just so many, so many uh, issues in, in the world today that we've been ignoring. And then suddenly the last one year, we've gotten a shock and, and everybody now suddenly recognizes and the consciousness is sort of suddenly upsurging. Mm. That's so so practically and beautifully said. So, so you know, why is it that so many people who who may have desired that because the opportunity seems to abound everywhere right all these uh, whether you look at the the un manifesto and all the different opportunities that exist in the world certainly is significantly in a disequilibrium now exacerbated by this whole uncertainty of how to live what do you think holds people back from looking at these as opportunities and saying okay how do i how do i help whether i'm an employee or a corporate guy or you know what does it take for them to recognize these and what, what should they do as a, as a practice for them to be aware? So two parts, right? So one are the millennials and I'll come back to them. And then there's the rest of us. And the rest of us are already struggling with the issues that we are facing with the current pandemic. And so we're just barely able to manage our own issues, leave alone now switching gears and trying to find a new path, a new journey, a new career, a new social enterprise, et cetera. So, I think it's fairly difficult. And then of course, part of it is the insecurity of money. There was insecurity already in the ecosystem, but now there is a really marked marked degree of uh, insecurity in the economics of the future. And therefore people want to sort of pause and saying, you know, even people who have ideas are pausing and saying, okay, let me wait maybe another three months, six months, you know, mm. uh, you know is it idiotic for me to just launch into something right, right now, right here? However, 
the other folks are the younger folks and i have huge optimism so millennials almost on a daily weekly basis are coming forward with mission and purpose they all want mission and purpose and mm -hmm. so a there are people who are coming into the workforce who want to get into the social enterprise either a startup or a larger organization and there are people who are existing today working in very large mncs or banks or even in big social media companies who just don't agree with the philosophies and uh, they're willing and able even in today's time to plunge and go to the other side uh, and so you know really we have a lot to learn from them that's 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 true because hey we're plunging in here the two of us and you know congratulations absolutely you, <laughs> i was going to ask you what advice you would give people today business owners today whether the size of their business what as a leader you know in simplest terms what advice would you give leaders that are have the opportunity to hire what would be the top 3 uh, characteristics or values do you believe leaders today should hold or uphold? Yeah, so one is hold and uphold, right? So that's that's a, a very critical thing. Uh, first is that in these times, uh, people just try to dodge a little bit here and there, trying to make cash flows meet, right? And so there are some businesses that are doing extremely well, but there are some businesses that are really hurting. And those businesses that are hurting are just trying to survive. And in that survival comes that pure heart, which has always been there and now suddenly starts wavering because you know you really don't know whether you're going to survive and how you're going to survive, right? And so a, a few things, right? So one is that people who are right now hurting, uh, forget about hiring, right? How about hanging on to people who are already working for you, who work for you for such a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I give them you know, a, a strategic idea which says, you know, the guys who are already at the top uh, take away 30, 40, 50 percent, uh, you know, of their remuneration packages and, and hold the guys at the bottom of the pyramid or bottom of your uh, pyramid of, of pay, pay scales and remuneration. Uh, maybe you take nothing. Maybe you take 10 percent off from the bottom and 30, 40, 50 percent from the top. So when you average it out because your senior guys are getting paid such a such a lot of more lot more money then it all averages out. And so you'll still end up with whatever your percentage uh, cut that you're looking for. In terms of hiring new people, uh, without a doubt, uh, it, it's, a, it's a huge cross-section we are at right now. So on one side, there are uh, millennials who are looking for mission, who are looking for purpose, and their attitude is you know, in the right place. And yet there are other millennials, if you see their resume, they've been changing jobs every year, every two years, right? So flip-flopping. Gone are those days when uh, a gentleman in you know here who, who worked for Morgan Stanley for, for Gardner's donkey's ears and those days I, you can't find people like that now right so people just flip flop around so I think that that's the other thing I think in terms of just the value system right uh, that's a toughie right you you're looking at a resume you're filtering people based on the resume then you are doing a Zoom call to try and hire people and you're trying to seek I've met people in person and still I've faltered I haven't figured out exactly. You know, if the attitude is going to be right for the culture in my company, leave alone, then I'm trying to hire people off Zoom. So it's extremely, extremely difficult. And and so, uh, again, you do your best and 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 then, you know, you hope that you get, you get the right team. You know, I want to go back to what you said about the pay strategy. 
Um, that's certainly one way to do it. That's a how to do it that way. Why is it important to look at that in your eyes? Why and 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 why that strategy? Well, I mean, look at the end of the day, there are a few very small percentage of folks who will pitch in money into their companies that are having negative cash flow. So they've made money for all their lives. They're incredibly affluent, but they hang on to their uh, funds, accumulated funds, and they are in a certain rung and they want to be in that rung. So if it's a billionaire or a hundred triple millionaire and they want to stay there, they don't want to suddenly pull out 10, 15, $20 million and suddenly go to the you know, lower rung. And so, but are there a few people who do that? Yes, in that case, there are people who have not fired anybody, have not reduced one cent of the paycheck. So there are some of the people. But in terms of the rest of them, uh, cash flow is is really, really important, right? That's the other thing. The last one year teaches us that, you know, if you thought that, okay, let me just plan for six months and I'll be fine. I know so many hotels where the owners had to give the keys back and they tried extremely hard, but they kept reducing, reducing, reducing their staff. But one day, just that 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 day came when they just couldn't survive, and they had to return the key back to the to the to the bank. Yeah. Mm. So you know, uh, everyone loves stories, Jayesh. Um, we're gonna bring it back to you a little bit uh, as we as we share leadership lessons and we speak with others about what they've learned in life. I, I know there's probably many many lessons that you and I've spoken about uh, in the in the in the past. But can you highlight one or two that that really you you overcame and you there were a couple of nuggets that came out and that you still hold on to for anybody that seeks advice or for yourself or your children. What would you say to that? I think I'll just first go to the entrepreneurs, right? I mean, if you have entrepreneurs here who are either struggling or are thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, I think one is risk taking, but the other is resilience, mm. right? The resilience comes in two types. So one is resilience to not give up and you're struggling, your cash flows, you're not able to meet your payroll. Uh, you want to you know, expand your product line and you're not able to you know, do that. And so you require a huge amount of resilience uh, to hang in there and hang in there and figure out ways to maneuver through that cash flow issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other is where you're starting to do well and you have an opportunity to grow the company 10X and 20X and 50X, but now you start getting nervous and you start wondering if you know this i can i continue to do this mm -hmm. and people you know exit out of their companies too fast right and so mm -hmm. and then when they see their companies grow then there is a seller's remorse that sets in unfortunately so i'd say you know that's a tricky thing it's an art and a science unfortunately there is no easy answer in that it's it's that particular moment in time and you have to figure it out because you know there are folks who sold uh, you know instagram for a billion and and there are folks uh, you know, who sold WhatsApp for $19 billion, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's everything in between. But again, there are people who have, uh, you know, not sold in time and then lost it all because it just didn't sell at all. So that's just sort of the entrepreneurial part of it. But I'll ask you to sort of, I, I think you want to know more. Please ask me again. No, meaning like what was your, something that you overcame in your story. life? Yeah, yeah. Your personal story, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that the 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 part of overcoming uh, one of them, I will say that is, uh, again, similar to this particular aspect of giving up, right? I mean, I, I built, uh, I did nine startups mm -hmm. and there are two of them that went south. And as much as I tried to hang in there, uh, 
I was just not able to save those two companies. Now, while I could not save the companies, I had to overcome uh, that level of depression that you go through uh, in one case where we had to let people go. Uh, but in one case, what I then learned from the first part is to say, is there some way I can save the people and, and everything around me, my stakeholders? Mm -hmm. So I fought very hard uh, to go to a publicly listed company who was uh, going to buy us out. And I said, one of my condition is that there are 70 people working for this company and you have to hire and keep 69 of them. So I couldn't tell them how long. So they finally did agree to take all the 69 people. So at least when the investors lost all their money, those 69 people continued their jobs. I said, you have to make sure that all my customers get treated right. Right. So that's the second thing I did. And three is all my vendors get treated right. So I did that. So some of that is part of sort of the in an entrepreneurial way that I overcome overcame. Uh, the other is in, in just growing up, coming from very humble beginnings. Uh, there were so many play points in my life uh, when I felt that I just couldn't cross over. I wanted adventure. I wanted to go across. Uh, for example, I wanted to go to study uh, in USA. I was studying in IIM Calcutta and I wanted to quit that and I wanted to go, but I didn't just have the money. Mm. But again, somewhere deep down, there was a resilience in me and I just took the gumption. I just jumped on a plane and I said, I'll figure out, I don't have money to pay my fees. Uh, and that has happened multiple times. In my personal journey, I have overcome that. I've found people who trusted me and then you know I was able to give that back. I think a lot of it is to do with interpersonal skills how can I build trust in a person whom I don't know? And that mm -hmm. I have gone again and again, I've built that trust. So if I'm proud of one thing, it's my network of friends that I have all over the world, including you, Raju, where I know that if I need something that desperately I need you to do something for me, I can count on you. And I think mm -hmm. I have friends uh, who are, who've been my friends for 50 years uh, and, and, and you know all the way to this last year. So yeah. I think that level, you know, uh, of of overcoming uh, have-nots to become something beyond that. I think that's what I uh, would recommend and, and suggest to your audience. Thank yes. you for sharing that. Um, one word, which I love, gumption. If you don't have it, how do you build it? Uh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Again, just like a risk-taking ability, can you nurture risk-taking ability in millennials who are just sitting pretty with affluent parents, very difficult. Same thing, building gumption is a very difficult thing. You have to work on it and you have to continue to work on it. So if you feel um, that there is a one silver bullet that gets you over the hump, it doesn't. But I think what is part of it is that if you're an entrepreneur, especially, then it builds character. And in that building of character, there is a certain, you know, in just way, way in inner feeling that you get that you want to produce this particular product or service. Uh, and, and then that gives you that gumption, right? And so you do it once and you fail, maybe you do it a second time, you fail, but you just keep going at it, right? And then at one point you develop that character that says, okay, you know what? I'm ready for anything. I think the other piece is of course, to have the right people around you. So soon you realize that you alone may have the gumption, but if people around you, 
can't put it together because all the vectors have to point north. All the energies of all the people around you have to come together mm. for a positive outcome. So, so that's extremely important. Well, that really hits me hard because I've had five startups. You've had nine very different directions where mine went. But um, yeah, that that really hits. But but uh, to the point that that you're making on gumption, it, it you're saying it can be learned. It's not necessarily you're born with it. Yes. Maybe there's uh, a desire you have, but you don't you don't allow it to 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 be nurtured. Yes, I, I think yes. Compared to risk taking ability, which is usually not so easy to develop, gumption you can build it over a period of time. Yes, mm -hmm. I agree. Well, I word you uh, another word. One word that you mentioned that I think is critical in order to strengthen one's gumption is trust. Can you speak a little bit more about trust? You talked already about surrounding yourself with others. So I wanna shift the conversation a little bit to consciousness now. If we're talking about trust, what else other than people, what are, how do you, how, how have you built that ability to be able to just trust in others? What else does that require? Right, so I can tell you about my own journey as to how I am uh, you know, I'm not so sure if I can help uh, people become trustworthy because either they are trustworthy and they can project that trustworthiness. In my personal uh, way, the way I am is uh, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. You do it once, you do it twice, you keep doing it again and again, and people realize that, okay, uh, I think this person means what he says. So that's one part. Uh, the other part is uh, building that network, that interpersonal relationship so if I have folks with whom I do business, whether it's my real estate agent, for example, or if it's you know the, the guy who cuts my hair, to uh, just about anyone from whom I take services, I've been taking services from the same person for 10, 15, 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there is a relationship that develops. There is a bond that develops, right? And I think that if, you, if I do that in, in my in my banking services, in my financial handling of people, my hiring and firing of people, is there a consistency? You know, am I using the same set of rules each time, or am I flip flopping as I go through life? And and you know, I think people are quite smart, right? And especially the youngsters today, they can see through many of these things, and they are much much simpler than than the complexity that we used to live in. Uh, you know, I, I find that uh, you know, life will be better uh, going forward. But I'd say that uh, trust also is your experience, right? Mm -hmm. And your experience, and also if anybody does a reference check, right, on me, I have time and time and time again gone to investors today to say, hey, would you like to consider investing in my fund? The first thing they say is, hey, if you are involved in this, uh, you know, if we can afford it, we'd love to be in it. Again, your min minimum threshold may be above whatever I can afford. But I think uh, you know there are emails that are floating around where people send me an email saying, hey, what the heck? These guys are saying some amazing things about you. And that truly is because of nothing else that I've done for them, but other than that I've been just completely straightforward and honest and, and done whatever I say I was going to do. And, and so I'm conscious about being trustworthy how do you balance loyalty because i feel like while you didn't say the word that's what you were speaking to 
How do you balance loyalty with then innovation? Uh, by being honest, I think loyalty to me is uh, being truthful, being honest, saying it nicely, but politely. I, I'm being very mindful about it now. I used to be very straightforward and you know harsh about how I used to project these things before. But to me, it is more important that I'm honest about my feedback, whether a product or a service is going to work, whether a one candidate is better than the other, you know, in meetings, uh, I'm more forthcoming to that. But now I'm being mindful also, the way I say it, I'm trying very hard, I'm not there yet. But my sense is that if I did not warn you when you're trying to do business with someone that you shouldn't be doing business with, just because I just don't want to a, either get involved or interfere or piss off the other guy, right? Unfortunately, the guy's gonna find out and then saying, well, you know, I'm going to, uh, he's not gonna like it, he or she is not gonna like it. And my take is, no, I think that I will put my friendship and my trust uh, on the line and make sure that I relay across to you uh, the insight, the deep insight that I have. Otherwise, what's the point? So if I'm a mentor to an entrepreneur, and if I don't get across all the you know, tough love, as they say, if I don't get that across, then I'm doing a disservice in my personal view. So mm -hmm. loyalty is fine, but it's misplaced if you don't come across and say things like whatever needs to be said. Have you ever felt that, um, you know, we all are programmed, as you know, Jayesh, to, to just think and do and think and do, but sometimes we don't really get our heart involved. At what point in your life did you feel your heart led you as opposed to your mind and your, you know, the yeah. So one of the things that I uh, mentioned at the end, the last chapter of my book, is that I've discovered over time uh, three levels of journey in my life. Uh, the first one is called wealth affluence. And each one of us works towards that wealth affluence, whatever wealth means to everyone. You know, when I talk about what shall we do with all this money, it is not necessarily this money doesn't mean that it has to be billions or millions or whatever, whatever that amount of money is. So when I talk about wealth affluence, that amount of money that brings a certain amount of contentment in you. Mm -hmm. But it's the transition then to the next level, which is extremely important, which is time affluence. And it is at that point in time that when you start practicing time affluence, then many of these uh, you know, inner consciousness things sort of wake up. And, and then the next level after that is, is mind consciousness. Mm -hmm. So you go from wealth uh, affluence to uh, uh, time affluence to mind affluence. Mm -hmm. And mind affluence is essentially saying that you're completely at peace, you're happy, you're calm, you're mindful, you're in a meditative state which is of course extremely extremely difficult but my sense is that i think your heart comes at the transition between wealth and time because that's when you really take the time and you know uh, of course there are many people who are practicing wealth affluence and start doing meditation and mindfulness coaching and things like that mm -hmm. i think it's the beginning of that journey so for your personal uh, in your personal story where where was that was there a turning point for you when you switched yes absolutely Absolutely. I mean, I decided that I was going to switch my 80-20 to 2080. Mm -hmm. So I spent 80% of my time uh, making uh, money and in commerce and economics and 20% on service and spiritualism. 
And then I decided that I was going to flip that and I was going to spend 80% in service and spiritualism and do things that I need, I want to do and 20% on economics. Now, it just so happens that I've been extremely, uh, you know, fortunate. And, you know, however, whatever we want to say about luck, it is there. Most people who are, who have made it uh, at some point in their life, they will give credit to luck. Uh, I mean, there are many people who just feel that they have done it and that's fine, more power to them. But I feel luck has a huge, huge, uh, you know, play. Thank you for sharing that. For someone listening who is interested in making that shift between the 80 and the 20%, can you speak a little bit about what does that look like? You know, you shifted it 80% service and spirituality. What is that? And, and, if, and, and I'm going to add to that, you talk about luck. I think it needs more definition because then people will say, well, it's about luck and I'm just not interested in because it's going to be luck. So you have two right. questions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So let me take the uh, luck one, just the continuity of the previous one and then remind me, Trisha, and I'll come back to the second part. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, luck is a piece where if you uh, have figured out the why first, why you're doing whatever you're doing, right, in your startup, for example, and then you go to, you know, doing the right things about, who is who are you guys and what is the team and what is this big picture goal of what you're trying to create and how are you going to execute it and manage the cash flow if you don't do those things right uh, luck is basically like saying that i'm going to look at the newspaper every day looking for the lottery number and i'm not getting my lottery and then one day the lightning strikes to say hey can you please buy a lottery ticket and this is that that lottery ticket is the hard work is the using your applying yourself using the brain building a good team having the right thesis and executing that trend now even if you do all of those things two sets of teams one which does that and one succeeds and one which doesn't do it and doesn't succeed i think is where the differentiator is now luck is a lot of things it's the right place right time right but it's these days it's that you know th there is a flow of cash so the cash flow then there is a user flow and then there's the data flow so in our times, it used to be just the PNL and the financial statement, and that's what how we invested. Now, right. you 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 don't have to always because there are people companies that have no cash flow, and still mm -hmm. they're out there, and because they have user flow, massive numbers of users, and in some cases, just data is flowing rapidly, and so huge amounts of data. And so I think the luck again is is really uh, very important to recognize that it's out there, it's an ether, it's not something that. You can it's not fatalistic where you say okay well i give up and you know i'm never going to succeed because i'm not lucky i think that's not true you give luck a chance by working very hard there you go mm -hmm. looking for that great awesome and the, your and question so, Trisha, you were going to say yes it was uh what you were saying when you decided to flip the 80 percent 20 percent equation for someone listening that is interested in wanting to do that, what advice can you share about what that could look like in real time, in day-to-day -day time? Yeah, so first of all, uh, I wouldn't recommend that people flip from 2080 to 8020 day one. Uh, it takes time, uh, it takes a lot of practice because um, you know I've tried to retire a couple of times and it's not easy. So uh, you know it's not for everyone. But again, that flipping has to come from a deep, conscious, uh, deliberate uh, a journey that you want to go through. You just plan. You say, hey, listen, I really, really want to shift my balance. Uh, my, my equilibrium is, is shifted 
uh, way far out to uh, the monetary and the wealth. And I want to bring that back. I want to be more conscious about myself. Uh, you know, in a way, I have one life to live and I want to maximize that one life. My time is limited. I want to maximize that. And what is it that I really, really get joy out of? And if my joy truly, truly is coming out of serving or by meditating or doing some travel, I would say experiential for me, experiential uh, spending is just so dramatically more fulfilling than materialistic spending. Uh, and so if you really, truly want that and you, you really uh, want to pursue that, then you've got to make a conscious decision one day. And one day when you do make that decision, you know, you can write that down. And, and then if you have a plan, you can write that down, put it in the top drawer. And every day you just pick it up and just keep looking at it till you don't need to look at it on a daily basis. You start looking at it on a weekly basis, one day on a monthly basis. And then one day you don't have to look at it. You're there. You're just following that path. You're going to go at it and you're loving it because trust me, once you go down that path, uh, it just takes a little bit of nudge. And then once you're on your way, the momentum is so dramatic that uh, mm -hmm. nothing can stop your soul or heart or conscious mind, whatever it is that is guiding you. You know, that speaks to one of the ideas we talk to our clients about is that momentum builds clarity, more clarity. And that was a great way to, to speak into that. What are, what are some of your practices to be more conscious? I think I transitioned from outcome measurement uh, to journey. I think that was the biggest transition for me because I worked for a multinational and got trained by IBM. And then subsequently I did, you know, a joint venture with Sony Pictures. And, and so I just went living my whole life with outcome measurement. And that is sort of a calculator, right? That's at the top of your head all the time. Everything is economics and everything is calculating. And, and that, also unfortunately goes into relationships, which is just very unfortunate, right? Uh, but I think once you decide that you want to transition out of it, uh, today when I uh, try to support a nonprofit, I use the East and West both, right? So uh, Raju and I, we were on United Way uh, journey and, and there was a huge amount of outcome measurement in, in a Western style. Uh, you know, everything was about measurable impact. And, and sometimes, you know, when now I, as an individual, when I look back and now what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm just enjoying the journey as well. So I support a eye hospital in Bihar, which is a low income state, Akhanjyoti Eye Hospital. And uh, while we do 65,000 cataract operations every year, 80% of them free because it's a nonprofit, but the journey that, you know, the CF, the CEO, the, the, the founder and I go through uh, many a times, it's just commendable. It's just so much joy in it because, mm -hmm. you know, you, 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 there are some immeasurable things. Just simple example, you know, a, a, a older person who's, uh, you know, in, in the agrarian society, farmer, he's uh, old and, you know, gets cataract. Uh, he sits in a corner in his, in his house. But guess what happens then? Everybody else goes away. And the young girl who was going to school, she gets left behind to look after the grandpa. Right, so here is the girl, right, who goes out. Now, the day we do the cataract operation, that farmer goes back to work, but that girl child goes back to school. Wow. Now, is that a measurable wow. outcome or is it a journey? Yes, <laughs> you know, it's just, you yeah. really, that example is really speaking to something that we value, uh, unity consciousness. 
you know, that something that is seemingly affecting just one person, that's never really the case. And that's such a testimonial mm. for how these types of things can work. So you said 80% of the surgeries um, free. are free. That's are free. Yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. What, yeah. what an amazing thing to be able to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Or so even the transformations if you that you're experiencing, in, you know, with with these stories, is where suddenly your heart, you know, skips a beat. They go, "Oh my God, I'm part of this." Yes, and 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 also, uh, you know, recognizing that outcome measurement to journey includes the degree of difficulty, mm -hmm. right? So even if it is measurable, so for example, you help educate a thousand slum kids in Dharavi in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. in the city urban yeah or you educate 100 people you know kids in the northeast mountain terrain of india which one has more impact the thousand kids in dharavi in bombay or those hundred kids in northeast who absolutely have zero chance of anybody caring for them or looking after them so there's a degree of difficulty also right mm -hmm. and and these are the things that as you become conscious of uh, you let go of this constant striving for outcome measurement. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, we've experienced some, uh, you know, some of our clients have gone through their transitions and, and transformations. We didn't, we didn't know, we were just part of the facilitation. So it's just, it hits because that's the journey, right? It's not about how much have we sold and how many people are in the thing and, and all of that stuff. So it, it but but you you also said earlier about the cash flow and the data flow that's important in in these times or any times for that matter right so it's a, it's, a, it's an 80 20 that you're switching and i think that's that's a real blast yeah, absolutely i think that uh, somehow there are folks who have a dna uh, based on just their life experience during their career they figure out economics right but there's a DNA for it. And so people talk about it as a business acumen in some cases, mm -hmm. some call it savvy. Uh, and then, you know, I have four levels that I talk about in that say one are these folks who are smart, right? So they're intellectually smart and they go to good universities. And so they're great. And then the next level is savvy above smart because savvy says, hey, not only are you smart, but you can sell something, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then above that, these are folks who are shrewd. So, you know, they're not going to, you know, leave a penny on the table, which belongs to them, but they're very shrewd. They'll cut a good deal. Uh, you know, they won't lose at least, you know, if not, you know, and then the last rung is uh, cunning. So cunning. Oh, says, I thought you were going to go with another everything. S there. I, I, I wish, but cunning is the, is the last piece, which is uh, people who will just not let you make a penny and they will mm -hmm. just take it all away. So these, and then most of us can relate to being be between those, right? So, there are people between savvy and shrewd. There are people between. So I don't do business with smart, and I don't do business with cunning. Mm. Now, see, therein lies this, the, the the equation. Why? Because the cunning, of course, I want nothing to do with them. But smart is not good enough, because if you don't have the economic savvy or shrewdness, then economics doesn't work. So mm. you're really wanting to do some good out there, but the scaling of it, the repeatability of it, only comes from a little bit of economic savvy. And then it grows and grows and grows, including this gentleman who built the eye hospital in Bihar started from scratch. It's in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have electricity till recently. Even now they get eight hours of electricity out of 24 hours, but they're doing all the 65,000 cataract operations. And so there is an 
economic savvy in the gentleman to say, how am I going to figure this out and grow this? Uh, and now we're building another next to it, another 300 bed hospital. It's a 350 bed hospital. We're building another one right next to it to make the capacity 100,000 categorization. It's a nonprofit, but still, right? There is an economic savvy in it. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I know one thing I'm going to do as soon as this call is over is buy your book because I'm really appreciating all the different frameworks that you're presenting mm -hmm. and how you're breaking this down. And, you know, I... It's... That's my mistake, Jay. I should have already shared that with her. I was, as you were but, talking, I thought maybe we should have a, another part two to this about your book. But... Uh, it, my book is, uh, uh, the website is allthismoney.com. So if you go to allthismoney.com, you can see what the book is about and who are the folks who have interviewed. It's a compilation of interviews, essentially. And uh, there is a link there to, to procure the book or an ebook from Amazon. Beautiful. Thank you. Allthismoney.com. Yeah. Yep. The, the title is What Shall We Do With All This Money, right? Of the book. What Shall We Do With All This Money? Correct. So, um, you know, every time I, I certainly speak with you, Jayesh, I feel like I'm growing leaps and bounds and hearing new things. So we, we certainly, the wisdom comes from not taking anything for granted. So we really appreciate you. And I hope there's many more opportunities for us to talk with you uh, in the future. I'm here, um, uh, Raju, I'm always here for you. And uh, please reach out, you know, if there is, uh, you know, any other topics that you think might be useful for your audience, I'm more than happy to come back. Many, many come again. to mind. Because in this co-creative process, learning never stops, right? It's always about the journey. And, and, and sometimes when we hear more of that, you just feel validated in that, in that journey. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, in that context, what discoveries might you have had in this conversation, if any? Yeah, I think uh, what I uh, discovered in my 80-20 to 20-80 journey, as I was speaking to both of you, I realized that there is a piece of me, which is a fusion. Uh, one of the reasons I jumped back into what may seem like an economics model mm -hmm. is that it's an impact fund. Mm -hmm. So I discovered there's a fusion. So it doesn't have to be just for-profit or just non-profit, right? So there is impact investing, which is in the middle of both of those. And so there are fusion. And so there are some ideas like that. So if your DNA is like mine, then you can't just go off there and just keep meditating and go into the nonprofit world. Uh, so, so that was one of the things that just came to my mind that, you know, wow, you know, while I said I'm doing 80-20, but here I am back into the venture capital fund, but it's a good protein fund. And so there is an impact associated. That's the main reason we're doing it. We're trying to take the animal out of the food chain. That's what mm. this is all about. Well, so maybe we can, can you spend a minute about that? And is there a way that of some course. of our clients can reach you if there are investors in this uh, audience that are listening, perhaps? Absolutely. Where, Absolutely. where can they reach you and tell us a little bit about what, what, what this venture yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, the, the, the important thing is to recognize that uh, this is an impact fund. So I think the, the, just briefly, uh, animal uh, agriculture is about a $2 trillion market. And uh, alternative protein is about $20 billion, only 1%. Uh, now, uh, by 2030, it will expand to about 200 billion dollars, based on you know most conservative estimates by many extremely uh, well-known uh, folks out there. Uh, by 2050, uh, the alternate prote protein space is expected to 
take about 30 to 60% of the market, so which is about $1 trillion. So the opportunity in both economics and impact is just massive. And, and several factors uh, contributed to the evolution of uh, alternative proteins over the past decade, uh, which included uh, increased consumer interest in health, price, um, ethical considerations, such as where meat is sourced from and animal welfare. So our current food ecosystem, as I mentioned, you know, is just unsustainable. We will hit 10 billion population. Uh, we slaughter 70 billion animals, 1 trillion fish annually, right? And 14.5% of global warming comes from the food system. 75% of human disease, uh, including the present pandemic, comes from animals. And 80% of antibiotics are pumped into animals. So the promise of alternative protein is to reduce greenhouse emission by 90% and reduce uh, things like deforestation, uh, ocean dead zones, uh, sp species extinction. So, you know, what is alternative proteins? I mean, most of the folks today know about, you know, uh, alternative proteins, but they're basically protein rich ingredients sourced from plant-based fungi or tissue culture mm -hmm. uh, to replace conventional animal-based sources. Uh, some well-known companies all of you guys know about is like Beyond Meat, yep. uh, which is publicly listed, and uh, Impossible Food, Impossible which is valued, uh, which is valued at five billion and may go public go public soon. So my partner and I, we are setting up a twenty million dollar impact venture capital fund out of Singapore. Uh, we will be investing in plant-based, cell-based, and recombinant or what is called fermentation technologies in products that include dairy, eggs, meat, seafood alternatives and also alternatives to materials. So things like leather, wool, silk. Uh, and then we'll be investing in multi-stage and secondaries in, in companies and geographically 90% will be North America and Asia. 10% uh, will be places like Europe and Israel. Israel is leading uh, also in many of these technologies. And uh, so, yeah, so I mean, we're, we're hoping to do a first close uh, by the end of uh, March. And, uh, you know, we've got our venture capital fund manager license and we're on we're on our way uh you know happy to talk to in, anyone in singapore based in singapore yes the the fund is based in singapore uh and so all the investments will be made from singapore and all the distributions will come out of singapore mm -hmm. and and so of course you know anyone who's interested please feel free to reach out to me uh my How email address is you? yeah so you can write to jayesh at goodstartup.com Jayesh, J-A-Y-E-S-H at goodstartup.com. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been more than a wealth <laughs> of information and inspiration for our listeners. So much more that we can go into. So Raju already alluded to it earlier that we would love to have you back at some point. And in the meantime, can you tell us a little bit about your background I know yes. that our podcast listeners can't see this, but we also do post these videos on YouTube and I'm so interested in, in the background behind you. Yes, so uh, my background, like this background, not my my, my journey background. Yeah, yeah this is Darjeeling. This yeah. this is Darjeeling. It's a tea plantation in Darjeeling. This is virtual background. So I'm traveling every day with different backgrounds. Today it's Darjeeling and that famous tea comes from Darjeeling, as you know. So. Uh, I'm traveling every day vicariously. vicariously. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because, yeah, you know, um, something I was listening to yesterday that this ability we have to be able to travel isn't really limited to just the actual physical travel, that we all have been gifted 
you know, the capacity to be able to do that in different dimensions in our minds. And in your case, you're showing us as you are enjoying it too, you know, that you're traveling daily, you're sitting in the same space physically, but you're allowing yourself to be immersed in, you know, the different places in your mind and sharing that with us. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I know it's late over there, so we, we appreciate this. We can go on and on, of course. Um, yeah. But we'll look forward to seeing you again. Thank Take you. Good care. Take care, guys. Namaste. Namaste. Take care. Namaste. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, make sure to subscribe, download, and share it with your sphere of influence. You know, we bring a variety of topics to you. And it's like a masterclass for those topics. And it's all free. So take a screenshot, share it on your social media, and add the hashtag Bold Conscious Connections so that we can find you, see you, maybe say hello. And if you want to deep dive into some of the topics that we bring to you, uh, find us at www.livemasterminds.com and get to know us. Take care. <laughs>